Lord, we would be fools to think that we can go through life without you. Lord, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. So we pray, even now as we come before your word, that we would have ears attentive to hear what you have for us, Lord. We long to be like Christ. We long to be like our great and glorious Savior. And you say that you use the proclamation of your word to transform hearts, Lord. So we grab hold of that and trust that even now as we submit ourselves to your word and as we seek to serve you with all that we are, that you would be transforming us and empowering us and equipping us for your ministry, that you might use us to proclaim your name to the nations. So be with us now, Lord. Any sins or thoughts that are entangling us from paying attention to your word, Lord, help us to push them from our minds. Be with Alan. Give him your boldness to speak. Just as Paul prayed in Ephesians 6, that he might have the boldness to proclaim these truths to us today. So we pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. awesome that uh, God is sovereign and he speaks to the worship team. Um, I guess I got two of these. Uh, just like when I'm seeking him, he, he speaks to me. And you're, you're going to see in a second, I, I had no clue what the song was going to be before um, I preached. And I'd probably say uh, we need... God about 500 times in this message, so. One of the most memorable moments that I can remember in college was uh, when I was in a class called Communicating Cross-Culturally. Dr. Cindy Strong was teaching that class. Um, As the title says, um, the class had to do a lot with uh, learning how different cultures um, react to things, how, how um, mannerisms, um, how we communicate with each other. And that professor um, was a missionary in Korea for a period of time. So we learned a lot about the Korean culture. And she talked about um, one time when Billy Graham was coming over to speak to the people. Well, one of the things I learned um, about that culture was if you give an invitation to them, it is polite for them to accept the invitation. We're going through Billy Graham's biography at the time, so we're learning a lot about him and and his life and stuff. And so I I raised my hand and I said, well, I'm sure there was thousands of people that received Christ that day when Billy Graham spoke, because they always do. How many of those people would you say actually receive Christ and how many of them do you think were just trying to be polite? And Dr. Strong stopped for a second. She thought about it. And then she answered my question with her story of meeting them. She said, I was with a group of missionaries and we had the opportunity to go and meet Billy Graham before he spoke. And so they took him up to a room. They went into the room and I don't know, it must have been a huge room or something, but They looked around. They couldn't find Billy Graham. And then they heard weeping and crying. 
I looked around, and I couldn't remember if it was like on the other side of the sofa or there was a partition in the room or what it was. But Billy Graham, was hands, his hands and his, his face were on the ground, and he was weeping before the Lord, praying, God, save these people. That was her answer, and I didn't have a follow-up question. Um, prayer is powerful. Prayer displays our dependency on God, which we need in order to have victory over sin and death. We need to seek God through prayer because the days are evil and only He has and can have victory over the enemy. Without God's power to crush Satan, we're all goners and no one will be saved. We need Him. We're engaged in a spiritual battle and everything is at stake. None of us can fight this battle on our own. If we do, we will die. We will lose the battle. Therefore, we need Him in our lives. We need Him to fight our temptation to sin, to free us from worldly anxieties, to take away our depression. We need Him to give us strength in our times of despair. We need Him to triumph over evils in the world. We need Him to save the girls who are kidnapped in Nigeria. We need Him to be working in all of the different governments all over the world. We need Him in our local governments. We need Him to lead our marriages. We need Him because without Him, we do not have any power. All the evil in the world, everything that we despise, whether it be addiction to drugs, pornography, selfishness, you name it, is all rooted in darkness. Now we're going to go into the book of Ephesians, and it's going to be the classic passage that most of you, everyone knows, the armor of God. Okay? We're going to go and look at the armor of God, and that's five and a half, five and a half chapters um, Paul spent building up to this point. We're going to start with verse 10, and we're going to look first at the very first word in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the word finally. Okay? So Paul went, um, while, you're, while you're flipping through to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul um, reminds us who we are in him, that before the foundation of the world, if you're a child of God, he knew you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Then we go to chapter 2, and he reminds us, everything is by God's grace. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Everything is by God's grace. And then we go into chapter 3, and we remember that uh, there was a mystery that was hidden for ages. Romans, or not Romans, uh, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was promised. Everyone will be blessed through you. That's a great ministry. How in the world is everybody going to be blessed in all the ages to come? The Apostle Paul says, Now it has been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. I have been called to be an ambassador to preach the gospel and to spread the news that the mystery has been revealed. And that mystery is that the Gentiles are also included. Not just Israel, but everyone can have the gift given by God. And then we go into chapters 4, 5, and then half of 6, where um, we are told how to live as Christians. We're to put off the old, we're to put on the new. This is how, uh, he tells us how to love our wives, wives, how to love your husbands, 
how to obey your masters. Masters, if you have people that are working under you, how to um, teach them, how to govern them like Christ would. Kids, this is how you're supposed to obey your parents. And then we get to the word finally. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally. So here it is. Here is the pinnacle. Here's the... Here's bring it all together, and he's about ready to charge us and tell us how in the world are we supposed to carry out this life that we are called to as Christians. So if you have your Bibles and you would like to follow along, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So, God begins with Himself. We are to be strong in the Lord, in His might, and on His armor. None of our strength comes from us. All of our power comes from God. And then Paul gives the reason why we need this power. Continuing. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God has called you and I to battle. He has called us to join His ranks and to fight the enemy. And the enemy that we are called to fight against is an enemy that none of us can see. It is, our enemy is in the heavenly places. It's in the heavenly realms. It's angels and demons, principalities, cosmic powers, things over this present darkness. But then he also says, rulers and authorities, which is translated also magistrates. We're getting down into things that we can see in the world, evil in the world. You may maybe think of like Hitler, Stalin, you name it. Any, anyone that you think would just be evil representation of evil in this world, anything that would have dominion, even in our own lives. So, Paul starts with all this spiritual stuff, this evil stuff, then he comes back to things that are in the world that are evil, and then he wraps it all up against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, wraps everything up to, our fight is against evil. It is a fight against Satan and all that he has in the heavenly places. Even what we see here on earth that is evil is a spiritual battle that he has called us to. And I'm looking around the room right now, and um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't see any Navy SEALs in here. I don't see any Delta Force people in here. None of us, I don't really think, fit the bill of the warrior in the world's eyes. In fact, I see kids that are probably three years old or younger. Um, I see people who are a little bit older, people who might have trouble hearing, people who might have trouble seeing, people who have different physical ailments, all different kinds of people. And God has called us, if we have the spirit of Christ inside of us, to fight this spiritual battle. The only thing greater than us would be a Delta Force operator that also knows Jesus. Then then they, they might have us. But So this is hugely important for us to understand. We are wrestling with our own personal sin. Selfishness, addiction, anger, governments who are abusive in power, sometimes physical ailment, whatever kind of battle we are fighting against, we are fighting 
a spiritual battle. For instance, when you drive down the streets of Eureka and you see some dude walking along and talking to himself and acting goofy, tearing off his clothes, maybe uh, sweating profusely, you might look at that person and say, something is wrong <laughs> with that person. And uh, that, that's true. Um, you would probably even come to the conclusion that that person has a drug addiction. They are fighting with a drug addiction, and they are enslaved to it. And you might think that that is where the problem ends. That's the root of the problem is the drug addiction. But what we are just told right here is that all of our battle is a spiritual battle. So what we're seeing on the outside, what we see when we see someone who is, and this is just an example, one example, of someone that is struggling with the addiction to drugs, we know then that the root of the problem is a spiritual problem. So you might want to know, you, you go up to the person when they're sober, if they ever become sober. Why was it that you ever started using drugs? And they might just give a basic, just simple answer of, I just wanted to try something new. I just wanted to see what it would be like to try out the drug. And if you don't know your scripture, if you don't know the truth, and you don't know that there's a problem with that statement, you might think, ah, that's, that's innocent. That is just no big deal. But if you know the word, you would know that there's a huge problem with trying to seek satisfaction in anything other than Christ. If you know God the way that you're supposed to, if you've donned the armor the way that you're supposed to, if you love Jesus and are fulfilled with Jesus, you will have that satisfaction and you won't need to go look for any other drug to find any kind of satisfaction. The other problem is this. If you know the Word, you would also know that we don't want to put anything in our bodies that's going to taint our minds or take captive any of our thoughts or make us act any other way that the Holy Spirit cannot be influencing on and have control over, although He can make a person who's under the influence of any drug sober if He wants to. So God's calling us to battle against evil, against principalities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Through Christ, and only through Christ, can we have this victory. For Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As B.J. preached, Jesus the God-man defeated death, freeing us from the power of death, which is held by Satan. And being children of God, He's commanded us to wage war by putting on the armor of God. God has given us the armor, and we're to put it on. And so, Paul, he's most likely writing this letter once again in prison. We thank God that he sent Paul to prison a lot, because that's when he spoke to him and he wrote the Bible. So, Paul's in, most likely in, in prison around 60 A.D., and he's always got these Roman soldiers around, so I'm sure what's going on is Paul's being spoken to. He's writing the book of Ephesians. He's gone through all the different chapters, which we've already gone over and we've already talked about. And he's looking, he's saying, so now we've got to fight this battle. We are going to fight the enemy. And he looks at these Roman soldiers, he says they're covered, they have armor from head to toe. Aha, I'm going to take these different... Um, pieces of equipment, different elements that we need from Scripture, and I'm going to use the armor as an analogy to teach 
the people of God how to fight this enemy. How we address the spiritual realm will affect what we see in the realm that we live in. Now, as we look at the armor of God, you'll notice that there are six pieces of armor. Okay? The first um, three pieces have a verb that precedes it, which is translated to be. Okay? Those pieces of armor are the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and then the shoes. The second three are preceded by a verb which is translated to take. So the second three are the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and then the sword of the Spirit. So the first three are important. It's important for us to know that we are to be those all the time. The second three we take up as needed. Maybe you could picture like a baseball player at a game. They always have on their baseball uniform. That is who they are. They are a baseball player. But when it's time to go into the outfield and play defense, they grab the mitt. When it's time to go up and bat, they grab the bat. Okay? Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. To fight, we have to fasten on the belt of truth. Truth is an absolute reality. It is to know God's view on a subject. And we know God's view on a subject by knowing the Bible. So if we look around us and we try to analyze the world around us and why things are going on, we want to look at the world through the lens of Scripture. We want to know what reality is by looking at it through the lens of Scripture. The opposite would be what a lot of us Christians do, including myself. I spend tons of time on the TV, tons of times. Well, I don't, I don't go on the computer too much. I hate those. Um, but I spend lots of time doing things other than things that, other than studying Scripture. And the big problem with that is, is that all of a sudden my mind is being molded and formed by what I'm putting in it, what I'm listening to. Okay? So, all of a sudden, everything that is going into my body, everything that is going into my mind that I'm thinking about is now forming the lens that I'm looking at. And if that's what the majority of uh, that is going into my mind, I'm then taking that lens and I'm looking at the Bible through the lens of the world and the reality, the truth that I'm getting is going to be distorted. There's always two answers to every question. There's... God's answer and there's man's answer. Man's answer is always wrong. God's answer is never wrong. God's answer is always right. Only knowledge of the truth will set us free. Not just the truth, but knowledge of the truth will set us free. Because we need to be careful. We need to know the truth because Satan is roaming. He wants to pervert the truth, which is exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. He told Eve a lot of things that were true and only just fed her a little lie. And here we are today, struggling with sin. Continuing with verse 14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, there is a connection between the belt of truth 
and the breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness reflects the truth that is in us. Righteousness has to do with making right decisions, and our right decisions are based on knowledge of the truth. The opposite of righteousness is wrongness, and when we make wrong decisions, Satan comes in, gets our foothold, pulls us back, and we fall into sin. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having the readiness given by the gospel of peace. When we think of peace, we might think of a bunch of different things. Uh, We might think of a baby sleeping. I would think of a house out in the country, a few acres all around it, trees with nice autumn leaves around. I would have been working outside 75 to 80 degrees any hotter. It wouldn't be peaceful. And I would work, be sweaty. Naomi would be cooking probably ribs, pork, pork ribs, nice barbecue sauce, corn, um, freshly squeezed lemonade, cold ice, um, wooden front porch, rocking chair with cushion, laid back on it, sipping my lemonade. That would be peaceful in my mind. But when we want to think, when we, when we think of the armor of God in peace, and we look at the Bible in peace, we need to picture Jesus on a boat with his disciples. Asleep. Jesus is asleep. The disciples aren't asleep. And there's a storm. The sky is getting black. The, the rain is coming down and the swells are getting higher and the boat is rocking all over the place and the water is coming in the boat and chaos is happening everywhere. And Jesus is still sleeping. And the disciples are getting scared. They're getting frantic. They're like, Jesus, are you going to save us? What are we going to do? And Jesus wakes up. And he rebukes them because of their lack of faith. And then with a word, speaks. He wasn't worried. He knew who had control over everything. He did. His father did. And he spoke. And it was calm. It was peaceful. Peace given by the gospel readies us in the Christian walk as we're going to have peace that passes understanding in the midst of the storm. Biblical peace is when everything around us is going wrong and we're still singing. Because we have the good news that Christ reigns victorious and He is sovereign over evil. I want to encourage you with that this morning. You can have peace no matter what you're going through. I've never gone through what you're going through. But you can have peace in the storm through Jesus. Assuming we have put on the truth and righteousness, then we'll have, then we'll have peace in the midst of the storm. And now we move to what we take up. Okay, those other things we are to have on all the time. We take up, verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith is not something that we can just make up. You hear it all the time. Just have faith. You can't just like make yourself, Okay, yeah, I'm going to have faith. 
that's not what this faith is talking about. If you have truth, if you have righteousness, if you have the gospel, if you have that message and you've been changed from the inside out, God is going to give you the faith that you need to withstand the storm. That is faith. When we look at the Old Testament, lots of times we'll, we're told of one of the patriarchs and we're told who they are and that they were men of faith by what they did. Right? If you look at Hebrews 11, it goes through a whole list of them. We'll just do a few. Hebrews 11, By faith Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice. By faith Enoch, because he pleased God, he was taken up to God so he would not see death. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed God's call. You'll know if you have faith by what you do. Your actions do not create the faith, but rather they demonstrate the faith which is produced by the Holy Spirit within you. The shield of faith is rooted in truth, righteousness, and the gospel will extinguish the shield of faith, if it's rooted in the truth, righteousness, and the gospel, will extinguish the fiery darts from Satan. Okay? Satan is throwing darts at us, also translated arrows. And they're not just regular arrows, they're, they're saying fiery ones. So, dipped in oil, lit on fire, coming at us, we're holding up a shield. If the fire, that arrow goes into our shield, it's going to cause maybe a small fire. If it's a small fire, it's a diversion. Satan wants to divert us from the truth. If it's a big fire, our whole shield is going to be engulfed in flame. We're going to be shaking that shield and we're going to throw it down and our body is going to be exposed. Only through Christ and His righteousness and His truth and by His message will we have the faith to withstand these fiery darts. Okay? Satan will draw back his bow. He'll release that arrow. And we'll see it sometimes coming right at us because we've put on all this other armor. And right there, maybe while it's still midair, that fire, the flame, will be extinguished and that arrow is going to drop to the ground. Other times it is going to come to us and it's going to hit our shield. And it might start burning a little bit. But God has promised us that He will never leave us nor forsake us He will give us the faith that we need to extinguish the fiery darts. He provides us the shield. We just need to take up the shield. Verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet is there to protect what's inside the helmet. The mind. And so... When we have all these other things going on, the truth, righteousness, the, the, the gospel message, and everything that's inside of us, and we have the faith, we want to be transformed in our minds. So those things are transforming our minds, so we need to bring those things up into our mind, and they need to be protected. And I love what Tony Evans said when he used, his illustration that he used for the helmet of salvation. He said, uh, when he grew up, he liked watching the show, The Beverly Hillbillies. This is biblical. He says, I once heard a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and up from the ground came a bubbling crude, oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. Some of you are still singing the song. I'm stopping right there. 
the Beverly Hillbillies always had oil under the ground. They just didn't know they had the oil under the ground. And he was shooting. Somehow the bullet went deep enough to spring up the oil. And then he saw that he had the oil. And so then the comedy goes like this. These are hillbillies that became instant millionaires and they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. I can't sing. Um, And so then in Beverly Hills, though they're living amongst all these affluent people, rich people who have been trained and they live like people who have been put into the best schools, instead of living up to their wealth, they maintain a lifestyle of being a hillbilly. Love that. That was good. So, we have been transformed, if you know Jesus. You have put on all that other armor. And so, take what has been given to you, take the gospel which the pinnacle, what we're striving for, what we're looking forward to one day is our salvation. And we keep that in our mind. We protect that in our mind. We press on towards the prize. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, of God in Jesus Christ. And now we come to our only offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why is it our only weapon? Because if we've done all the rest of the armor, the Word of God is all we need. The translation for the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit here, is the Word spoken. So it's actually an offensive weapon. It's not just the Word of God that we're looking at. It is the Word of God spoken. We're speaking this against our enemy. And I love one of the things I read about the Romans in their sword, the Machaira, is that the Machaira when the Romans were trained to fight with their sword, um, contrary to how some of the other armies taught to fight with their swords, the Machaira, they thrust their sword. They don't swing their sword when they fight with people. It's a sword that's made particularly to fight with a thrust. A lot of the opposing armies, they were taught to swing. And many times, if you're swinging with the sword, the fatal blow might not come until you've swung that sword a few times, but when you get that thrust from the Machaira, it's deadly, often the first time. And often the enemy is going to feel that sword long before they see that sword coming at them. When we take up and don the armor properly, and then use the word of God spoken accurately with authority in an offensive matter against the devil. He'll flee from us. When Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert, and we read in Luke chapter 4, he tells Satan three times, it is written. It is written. 
it is written. He speaks the truth that is Scripture, and then Satan fled. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The armor has been given to us, and we need to put on the armor. And now we're getting to my favorite verse that that we're going to look at this morning. Verse 18. But before we start with that, we just need to reflect and look that at the end of verse 17, there's no period there, okay? There's a comma. So we're at the pinnacle. We're at full thrust here. We're, we're, we're warriors right now, right? So, so we have on the armor. And then it says, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making your supplication for all the saints. God gave us the armor, and we need to understand, as we're putting on the armor, we can't put on this armor correctly. We can't do anything without God. Praying at all times. Translation, always. We need to always be praying. God, help me put on the helmet of salvation. God, help me to have the shield of faith. God, give me righteousness. Give me, give me your truth. Help me to see your truth clearly as I read your word. And then he says, petition him. Petition the Lord. Come before him over and over again, remembering he's, he's Abba Father. He's Father with authority. We can come before him because of Jesus. And he says, come to me. Come to me often. We're waiting on God. He's telling us, petition Him. Come to Him. When you walk into a room with motion lights, the room is usually dark, and then you walk into the room, and then the light comes on. Ooh. Maybe the reason why we're not seeing a result is because God is saying, take up the armor, seek me. And then we say, God, I seek you. I want to see you move. And then his light, his face, his radiance shines down on us and he does more than we ever could imagine. We need to petition God keep alert because he is petitioning uh, because Satan is petitioning God also. Satan is petitioning God to sift us as weak. Luke 22.31 Jesus said to Peter at this time he was called Simon Simon, Simon, behold Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Satan is petitioning God. I want them. I want their souls. Would you please allow me to mess with them? Look what he did with Job. We need to be praying at all times, knowing the truth, being able to see that fiery dart coming at us. God has called us to this. He's called us to be praying for our government. He's called us to be praying for our church. Look around our church. Say, what do we need here? God, show us the needs of the people. We need more than just physical help. We need more than just help when we're out on on our long trips. We need freedom from everything from selfishness, 
pornography, entitlement. We're sinners, just like someone that does not know Jesus. But what we do have that someone that doesn't know Jesus does not have is that we have the Holy Spirit working in us. We need to fight. We need to fight the enemy. That is what we're called to do. And then see God move here in our church. Remember to be alert. We can have on great armor. We could have on the best armor, the most expensive armor. But what good is a soldier if he's found asleep at his post? When the enemy comes up, if he finds that soldier sleeping, he's going to chop his head off. We often wait on God when He's waiting on us. God wants us to show our dependency on Him. And prayer is the ultimate cry of dependence on God. I desperately would love to see a revival in our church, a revival within us, a, a, a hope that is, that is new dawn, a new birth. I would love to see every single seat in here filled with someone. I would like to see the people that already know Jesus filled with the Spirit continually. I would like to see then people that don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. I would like to see forgiveness. I would like to see all these things happen. I would like to see all this stuff happen, but I often don't spend time fighting. If you're like me, let's, let's get off of waiting and start fighting. I long to see a revival especially here in Humboldt County in this area, like much like the revival that happened in Cali, Columbia in the late 90s. And I want to show you a little clip of a video that I think is super powerful. well known as the drug capital of the world and along with that all the violence and corruption sin of every kind you can imagine the violence was getting worse the church was really feeling the pressure of what was going on Kiambu was a struggle with. But where does this tentativeness experience? If you ask believers if they've experienced spiritual revival, most will say yes. Ask if they're convinced that large-scale church growth can happen, and they will invariably cite specific examples. But what almost no one has experienced, at least in the Western world, is a profound and pervasive transformation of their community. And as a result, we're inclined to think it's unattainable. But is this a valid assumption? I'd like to invite you to journey with me to four communities that have been dramatically altered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Four communities that offer a shining example of what can happen when God comes to town. 
well known as the drug capital of the world. And along with that, all the violence and corruption, sin of every kind you can imagine. The violence was getting worse. The church was really feeling the pressure of what was going on. Kiambu was a town which had very bad history. In fact, it had the worst history in our country. The murder in terms of rape, violence, it was well known. This town was not growing. The churches were not growing. Because of the bad reputation of the town, nobody wanted to come. This town was in serious trouble. Lots of Satanism, uh, witchcraft. Uh, we had the Moonies in the valley, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, TM, Transcendental Meditation Facilities, and Church of Scientology. We discovered that we were uh, methamphetamine manufacturing capital of the West Coast. There was a spirit of competition that reigned and ruled within not just the churches, but in the pastors. was an extremely poor village. This was a community in total poverty and alcohol addiction. Violence, ignorance, witchcraft, the occult, idol worshipping. In 95, we had our first all-night prayer meeting. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did and they prayed against principalities and powers. They prayed for unity. They believed in God to see him move in the churches. After these major prayer events, united prayer events were going on, that's when we started seeing the results. And ten days later, the first drug war fell. And God just came from the city. It has led to an absolute transformation to this city. Corruption has been reduced dramatically. The, the cocaine drug cartels have been shattered in this city. There are about 60,000 people, and they've come here to spend the entire night praying that God would continue the marvelous work he has been doing in this city for 36 consecutive months. This is something that pastors and intercessors in the United States, in Europe, all over the world need to witness. This is what God is doing in our day. We fasted. The Lord showed us a spirit of witchcraft resting over the place. The spiritual power over the town had been broken. Every 
everything changed. There was explosive church growth. The crime rate plunged to almost zero today. Every single bar in Kiambu closed. All but one of those bars are churches today. Do you feel the darkness tremble when all the saints turn in? We began to pray, and we sensed that the Lord was telling us that we would be allowed to break the ruling spirit over the region. I'm not just going to be held accountable for how I treated my church. I'm going to be held accountable by God for how did I pastor my city. And now the atmosphere in our city has completely turned. So we've seen a dramatic reduction in the uh, occult activity as well as an increase in attendance in church activity. In the last 10 years, we've seen a mighty move of God. There's been a real turnaround. Transformation is taking place. It is not the same community it was in the past. Eighty-five percent of the population of Almalonga are now born-again evangelical Christians. You've never seen so many churches in your life. All the streets are named after biblical places. The whole city has been transformed. It is a beautiful spectacle to go and see the, the, the effect of the gospel. Because you, you actually can see it. And that's what we want for our community, for our cities and for our nations. that happened around the world. And one thing I want to comment about, the one in Cali, Colombia, because um, everyone knows about drug cartels and stuff, and we, we hear all about it, and how dark a certain area is. And I don't know if it's because my job, but I, I would assume a lot of us in here also feel there's probably a similar darkness um, in Humboldt County, um, especially when Bill O'Reilly even um, names us uh, when he's talking about marijuana on the O'Reilly factor. Um, there was a dissension in all those churches in Cali um, before this revival happened. And this guy, one of the pastors, wanted to bring the churches together, but, but none of them would come together. And so he began, he, he started fasting and praying, and I think it was for three days. He fasted and he prayed, God, give direction. Show what, what you want to do here. <clears throat> and God, he felt, spoke to him and said, I will bring revival about, but you're going to get great harm um, from it. And he had peace. And one day he was walking to his church and he was gunned down by cartel men because he was speaking out against a lot of the stuff. At his funeral, the walls came down and all the churches and all the pastors then met together and started praying. And so what you saw there at the very beginning when they said the all-night prayer vigil, that's where they held their soccer events. They had to turn away 30,000 people that would not be able to fit inside that stadium. And they were praying all night long. In fact, during that time, because the crime started going down and the, uh, the news media people and the government started thinking there must be some sort of correlation between what you guys are doing and what's going on around here, they let them have that rent free. Okay? 
And then you even get to hear the news broadcaster on there saying, he, he wasn't a Christian, he became a Christian through it. And you see him, talk, they're talking to him, have you ever heard it like this uh, at one of your soccer games? He's like, no, never. And you just see it on his face, and it's just amazing what happens. And that was over a decade ago. And I don't, I'm sure, you know, who knows, maybe the crime rates have gone up and down or whatever. If you look through the Bible, it goes like this. We forget quickly what is going on. But where I want to leave us with today is just a remembrance of who we are in Christ. That He has called us to the offense. In the importance of seeking Him and seeking His face. And then going along with wherever He's calling us. He might be calling us to start praying more together. He might be calling us to fasting. He's already called us to fast. He's already called us to pray, but He might be calling us to do it together. He might be doing many different things. And so let's, let's seek God and have the faith that He is going to move through His what He's told us He's going to do. If we could have the ushers come forward so we can take communion.
sermon, this is the best part of the sermon, because we remember, we remember Christ. Um, we can't move forward in the battle um, without looking back first, and then looking forward to what's ahead. So let's, uh, let's, let's examine ourselves as, as we're looking at it, and, and sincerely, sincerely seek where, where we need to work in our lives, or, or what God needs to expose in us, and then... Um, remember Him through our communion with Him. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you so much, Father, for your sacrifice, for your truth, your armor, your your love. And God, move through us and cause us to seek you and petition you, God. Lord, we, we long for that day when we get to be with you, God, and help us to fight, to press on towards your, the prize for the salvation that you have secured for us. Lord, knowing that our victory is only in you, we worship you and we praise you with all of our hearts. In your name, amen.